Here we go with another On Deck Podcast. This podcast is a recording of the presentation Preparing for a Digital Future, which I gave at the European Council of International Schools Administrative Conference on April 18th, 2009. Welcome back. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate those of you that have come to other sessions, decided to come back. It's, it always scares me. I don't know. It always scares me when people come back for more. Other, I obviously didn't scare you enough in the last one. You needed to be, to be scared a little bit more. Good try, yeah. Um, so this last session, I will tell, is probably the dullest because it's the nitty-gritty kind of stuff that we do. Um, I'll end with kind of where you need to be thinking as administrators and what are some of the steps you can start taking to plan for this technology uh, integration as you come to. Um, I wrote a chapter for a book that's due to be released in June called Wired for Learning uh, through the through University of Houston uh, that asked me to write a chapter for a book that's coming out and I'm going to go through with you the outline of that book. Um, on the wiki you can actually download the PDF document that I published before I published in the book therefore I didn't break their uh, what did they do? Here it is. So if you go to the wiki, if you go to wiki.thethinkingstick.com or go to jeffudick.com and find, you can find your way there. Um, preparing for the future, here's all the videos we're going to look at. And then down here is Jeff Udick's tech plan for the 21st century. Whether or not you want to agree with it, uh, we're going to go through it all, but here are all the links, everything you need for this uh, presentation can be found there in the wiki handouts. Okay? So the future of schools. Where, where do we go? Where do you spend your money? That's what, I, that's what I'm, are there any vendors in here? I just need to make sure. Okay. And if you are a vendor in here, you're not gonna raise your hand there at this moment, are you? Okay. All right. Um, there's just, there's so much free on the internet today that it just kills me to find schools that are spending money on stuff that if we spend a little bit of money on PD, and teach teachers how to find information, good quality information to use in their classrooms, and how to use Wikipedia and not be afraid of it, that we can sidestep a lot of this um, paid subscriptions that, that the vendors want us to pay for. And not that the vendors are good. I mean, they, and what they do is, is fantastic stuff. Don't get me wrong. But you can save so much money by doing it. Um, so before we get started, I need to tell you my biases, because I, I, I just want to be upfront with you. And these, these, are my, these are my biases. The role of schools today is to connect students to information. That's our role, is to help them to sift through the information out there, connect them to the information so that they learn how to learn just in time and not learn just in case, which is the change that needs to be happening, in my opinion, in education. We used to learn things just in case we might need it one day, but with the access to information being flattened, we learn just in time, right? We can learn just in time almost anything you want to. You need to learn a new job, you can actually go back to school online and learn that skill to go out and get a new job, okay? That there is no such thing as too much bandwidth. Your connection to the internet should be your number one cost, period. 
Connection to the information is crucial. That should be your number one IT budget line. Okay? There is no such thing as too much digital storage. We're going to talk about how you can start to offload some of that. And there's a lot of it given away for free. And my last thing, my favorite thing, is a line from John Dewey that education is life. You know, it's a lifelong process that we all go through. What I want to start with is a video that kind of looks at, it's called Epic 2015. And then you're going to have a little bit of time to discuss this video after it's done. But this video was created in 2004 looking to predict where, where technology was going. So you need to watch this video and know that it was produced in the year 2004. So everything that they talk about, the history of the internet and the history of technology up to 2004 is historical data. From 2004 to 2015 is their projection of what was going to happen. And I want you to think about, as we watch this, what did they get right and what did they get wrong or what happened sooner than they thought it would be or what has been yet to come, okay? So, all right, turn and talk with somebody next to you. Uh, there's seats up front. Sorry, I didn't see you standing in the back. Um, turn and talk with somebody next to you. What did they get right? What do you think is yet to come? And what did they predict to happen that maybe actually happened sooner than what they thought would happen? So just a couple minutes real quick. <laughs> okay. Can I get your attention back up here, please? Look at all of you here. What have I created? Fantastic. Uh, anybody want to comment? Things they got right, things they didn't get right. Just about most of it has happened. Just about most of it has happened. Yep. Freaky to think. The whole Google's on thing hasn't happened yet, but you never know. Um, there have been other merges that have happened. What about the whole thing with the iPod? How in 2004, the iPod was only two years old, that they could see this coming of the Wi-Fi and the access and the camera. And now with the latest iPhone and the latest iPod, you can geotag everything. I take a picture here. I put it in the latest iPhoto. Now we'll take all your geotags and put it on Google Earth, which you saw the history a little bit of Google Earth, where they bought Keyhole, the company. What about the part where all of the newspapers fail? It's happening right now. They predicted it within a year. They predicted it in 2010. And, you know, we're already failing. Amazing use of technology. It's, it's amazing how fast this is happening. Um, so here are some of the things, right, that, that, that are happening. We know that mobile technology is just completely taken off. Um, Google News, if you get your news, does anybody use Google News to, do, to get their news? 25,000 newspapers from around the world on any given subject. So powerful in the classroom. You can go there and type in, say, global warming. Go to Google News, type in global warming, and you get the perspective of global warming from 25,000 newspapers from around the world. You can see how China views global warming versus Brazil versus the US versus Australia. That is something you should be doing in your classrooms, right? Facebook, we've talked about that if you've been in other sessions. If not, you'll have to listen to the podcast. Uh, YouTube, we've talked about that. How about iTunes? Universe, uh, iTunes U was launched a couple years ago. Anybody know iTunes U? Anybody use iTunes U? What is iTunes U? It's a 
it's, uh, I've just downloaded some of the lectures that I was interested in. I'm a history teacher. And yeah. I downloaded, uh, there's an English historian called David Starkey, and I downloaded some of his works, his lectures that he did. Fantastic, huh? And if you look at this, it took me three screens to get all of the, excuse me, universities that are now producing content via iTunes for free. You know, I was just talking to Don next door from ISTE, and his, his daughter is a senior uh, in university. He says she doesn't go to class anymore. Everything's done online. She goes when she wants to which is what we all did in university anyway, but, <laughs> right? but now she has access to all this information because all, they're all producing it and putting, I mean, look at this. I mean, it's three, U, UC Berkeley, UC Davis, MIT. I mean, we're, we're not talking little universities here. Are giving away their content for free that we can tap into, that we can use. You know, why are we buying subscription services when we're getting it for, for, from universities? Some of the top professors in the world. Yes? I went into that recently because I got my junk mail and told me to do it, so I always yeah. Coming out of universities, poor quality stuff? Yeah, the, the, the stuff being posted on there, and I think this is something that I'm sure lots of people have, that there's so much information that the kids have the same problem. So much information, but actually getting yourself to the right place because nobody helping you screen it, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, and learning to screen information is a skill. Yeah, and if you were here at the beginning, I was playing a, a podcast produced by our students at ISB because they went and they were looking for a way, they were looking for a way to find information on iTunes. They couldn't find it, so they decided to create it. And that's what I would challenge you. If you can't find the information there on your subject, then you create it. You become that. And you as administrators, if you're hiring a teacher and you could actually listen to lessons that they've produced beforehand, if you can get to them, if you can, has anybody Skyped into a classroom before they've hired a teacher? We've done it at our school, but I haven't done it personally. Seriously, nobody here has? Wow. That's, it's, I, I will tell you, in Asia, it's becoming very, very popular. That you will Skype into a classroom, the teacher will set up a webcam in the back of the classroom, and the administrator will watch a lesson and then the kids go out to recess or do whatever, debrief with that teacher before they ever meet them at the career fair. Or how about this? I just talked to an administrator in Asia who hired 17 of their 19 openings via Skype. We're in a financial crisis. Do you know how much it cost him? You didn't have to pay for the five-star hotel. I know you love going to the five-star resorts. No, come on. We all know it. Come on, admin, in a minute, right? But, you know, here's somebody who, in the two that he didn't hire, he actually was cheaper for him to fly, him, to fly them into this school than it was for him to go recruiting. Skype is, you can write into the classroom of the teachers before you ever hire them. And do not tell ISS and Search Associates that I told you this. <laughs> All right? They're going to get really mad at me. I keep spreading this message. Okay? How about this one? The University of the People it actually launches... They just announced this on April 20th. This is a university that costs nothing. April 20th, they're going to open their doors. 
They are tapping into all of the free content out there where students will teach students and they've hired a couple of professors who are giving their time away for, for hardly any money at all to kind of create the essential questions and allow kids to have a discussion and learn together and find the information together to learn in an open format. It's gonna cost you $25 to register for this university. Fully American accredited university, 25 bucks for your BA degree. Based on all the free content out there. <laughs> Started by a guy in Israel. What, what's that going to do? We're already in a infl education inflation. That's a different talk. I won't go there. Right? <clears throat> How about this one? I stand before you today to apologize. The system has failed you. I have failed you. I have failed to help you share your talent with the world, and the world needs talent more than ever, yet it's being wasted every day by an educational system steeped in tradition and old ideas. Ouch! It's time for a new tradition. It's time to realize talent isn't just in schools or just on kids everywhere. It's time to use technology to rewrite the rules of education. So learn how you learn so we can teach you better. It's time the university adapted to you rather than you adapted to it. It's time, time, time for a different I want to go to that university, a university that adapts to me instead of me adapting to it, that allows me to learn anywhere I am, where I want to learn from. Here's the one thing that I don't understand, and I got this brain idea last night or early this morning. Why is there not a ratemyteacher.com for international teachers? <laughs> Wouldn't it make your job so much easier? If you could go to ratemyinternationalteacher.com rate and you could actually see what kids said about the teacher before you ever hired them, I'm thinking of starting that site. And the problem is teachers hate this. Do you know why teachers hate this? Why do teachers hate this so much? Yes, right? Like I went to my high school. Where's my high school? There it is. I went to my high school. And I don't know all of the teachers there, of course, but Mr. Atkins was one of my favorite. 4.9 out of 5. I probably put in there. You know? RateMyTeacher.com. And some of them don't have very many, but look at this. This one has 12 reviews. 12 kids felt passionate enough about that teacher to rate them. That's pretty cool. Could you use this as an administrator? Teachers hate this. What's the site you all hate? That international educator thing that, pe that the teachers can get on and they talk? What, I don't even remember the, the name of the site. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Like teachers can get on and talk negatively about schools, right? I'm going to create this, man. I'm going to make millions and millions of dollars. Somebody take my idea, right? But why don't we have one of those? I wish we did for international teachers. We all move so much. You think we would. Okay, so let's get down to where, where is this all going? What's the future hold? This is the Horizon Report that comes out every year that's produced by the New Media Consortium. They've been putting this out since 2004 where they are trying to predict the trends that are happening in education and technology. And since 2004, they've almost been spot on. Not perfect, just like Epic 2015, but they've been pretty darn close. 
So this was just released in, I believe, the end of February. And Kim Kafina, who I have the pleasure of working with at uh, International School Bangkok, was actually on the sounding board for this. So there is an international perspective now, along with Julie Lindsay from Doha Qatar. Um, so here's what they predict. In one year or less, this is where schools need to be concerned. In one year or less, the time frame for adoption of online communication tools. You better start communicating with students online, whether that's through setting up your own iTunes channel, whether that's Skyping in professors to your class, whether that is on Twitter getting kids, whether that is you streaming live events like we're doing here, or you streaming a lecture, you know, be looking for ways to have online communication tools. Oh, and YouTube. We've talked enough about YouTube. One year or less, online collaboration. Are we building collaborative places for kids to learn together? If you don't know what a Ning is, a Ning is like a Facebook social network, only you can create one around your specific topic. So there's actually one out there for art teachers. There's one out there for IT heads, where there's a bunch of us, professionals, getting together, sharing ideas, creating stuff, helping each other with lesson plans, bouncing ideas off each other. There's, a, there's some out there for students as well. There's one called the Flat Classroom Project. Anybody heard of the Flat Classroom Project? Okay. The Flat Classroom Ning is one of the most amazing student Nings where kids are coming together and looking at ways that technology affects education in the world around them. And you have kids from all over the world that are coming together in one specific place to learn together with, with their teachers. Or how about online collaboration tools like Google? Google Docs and Spreadsheet that you can share a document or a spreadsheet with anybody in the world. You can work on it collaboratively. You can share a Google Calendar, Google Talk, you know. Again, Skype. Is anybody Skyping in people into your classroom? Good. We have our first grade. Our first grade this year has done a really good job of they have the mystery reader every month and they are Skyping in authors for free who read the book to the kids their book that they're reading in the classroom or whatever. Or they Skype in a grandma back in the States. Grandma loves it. You know, their mystery reader, the kids sit down and listen to a book be read to them via Skype. Nothing. But you can extend that. You know, we're talking about archaeology and we can actually Skype into an archaeology dig in Egypt. Find the connections. Okay, online collaboration. Can you use Facebook or a tool like it? We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Two to three years out, mobile broadband. Remember I told you, bandwidth, bandwidth, bandwidth. You need to be able to have bandwidth. You know, we know where this is going, right? The iPhone has revolutionized the way we get data right here in our pocket. Laptop computers, we're all kind of moving that way. Who in here is at a one-to-one -one school already? How many of you are in discussions to move there in the next two to three years? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. So, and again, mobile computing. Cloud computing. Two to three years out, cloud computing is where it's all going to be. Cloud computing is this idea that everything is kept somewhere else in these big server farms. And companies like Google, Amazon, Microsoft are creating these massive data centers. This is actually a picture of one right outside of my hometown of Spokane, Washington. And this is the size of three football fields covered, and this is nothing but hard drives. Just to store data. 
constant data, and they're all over the world, and there's this whole redundancy system behind it. That's why Google can give you, what is it now, eight gigabytes in Gmail, and next month I think they're, they're launching that, the whole Google Grid thing that talked about in Epic 2015, they're probably a year away from it. They're gonna get there, where you'll be able to store anything for free as much as you want on the web. Everything's gonna be stored on the web, which is why netbooks are becoming so popular. Do you mind? Right? So this is the future. If you're looking to go to one-to-one, -one, I think you should seriously consider this. Right? This is $300? $300. Its purpose is to connect to the internet. And when everything is kept in the web, that's all you need. You can get to your documents. You can get to your bank. You can get to, you have Skype. You just have to connect to the internet. For $300, this laptop costs right around 1000 So now we're buying three for one? Almost any school could afford that three to one. Thanks. Okay. The iPhone is just getting ready to pass its one billionth app download. Applications, anybody can make an application for the iPhone? How many of you have a, have a science, what's the IB one called? The science, uh, applied science class? What's the, science, or the, the technology class? ITGS, and then there's the other one. Environmental. So what I wanna know is are we, are we helping kids to create these programs? You know, are we programming stuff in our school? Are we teaching programming language? Do you know how much fun it would be for a kid to be able to create? For free, you can download everything you need to create the app and you could sell it or give it away free in the store. What is all the things they would learn about? All of the math they need to know. All of the how do you plan and implement all this stuff. I just downloaded it actually the other day because Stanford University through iTunes U is releasing a step-by-step -step of how to build apps. I'm going to build my first app. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I've got to make money somehow. All right, four to five years out are smart objects. I just want to play, this is, when you think of smart objects, let me play this video. I'm going to skip because we don't have time. Okay, so, little background. This is TED. Anybody listen to TED videos? TED.com. Write down the address and you will be blown away. So this is a TED talk from this fall. She's from MIT Labs and around her neck, she's wearing this new device that has a camera on it and a projector, okay? So the projector projects out. You wear little thimbles and your hands, you can walk up to any wall and the projector, you can manipulate whatever the projection is, okay? And it connects to the internet via the cell phone that you keep in your pocket via Bluetooth, right? And we've already skipped the part where she talks about that right now she could mass produce it for the same cost as your cell phone, okay? But this is a smart object, and we're gonna talk about what that means. So here, I just wanna play a little bit. That's smart objects, right? That's a smart object. So it takes the data stored on the internet and as you interact with any object around you, it gives you more information about it. It allows you to help you make your choices, okay? Four to five years out, the personal web, right? The evolving personal, what was it, something? Construct. Construct, okay? So that's your personal web. It's going to personalize itself for you. It knows where you are. Google's keeping, every time you do a search, Google keeps that data. And your favorite links come to the top. 
right? You've been doing a lot of searches on the Seattle Mariners lately. Somebody in this room has. But all of a sudden, all those links start coming to the top. It knows when you put in Mariners, you're talking Seattle Mariners, the baseball team, and not the sailor people, right? It knows that, okay? How many of you are feeling like this right now? <laughs> right? Unbelievable where this is headed, okay? So your number one cost right now needs to be bandwidth. Bandwidth should be your number one cost. I will tell you at ISB, we are doubling every year. We've doubled every year since we had 512K, and this January, we're now up to 20 megabytes. And we are putting it in our funds to double every year within what our country will allow us to do. And I understand this is a country regional thing. Every country is different, you know, but can you get the most, what is the most you can get? How do you get that bandwidth so you have that constant connectivity? Question? Right. That would allow us to have mobile classrooms anywhere where we go. Right. So can you functionalize that and put that in operational terms for me? What does that look like? What does that look like as far as your classroom or your school? Well, no, in terms of getting into it with the network so that you can go anywhere in the school with that particular device. It means just setting up a wireless system within your school. Um, at our school, we have a wireless and wireless protocol like you do here at the here at the hotel, we have wireless throughout our school, even on the middle of our football field. So kids, if they want to for lunch, go out and eat and are on the internet, yeah. And when you talked about um, schools buying them, I was a little surprised because I would think that we would just say to at 300 bucks a pop, I mean, people are spending more than that on a cell phone. Why not just tell parents, please buy your kid a $100 I netbook? Totally 100% agree, especially our clientele. I think most of our clientele can probably afford it, okay? Cloud computing. Find ways to offload your storage into the cloud so that we're not constantly buying servers. You know, can you set every student up with a Gmail account? Because Gmail, because Google gives away the education, Google education is free. And it's not so much Gmail, it's the seven gigabytes of storage that you get for free per kid, per user. You can't do that for free in your school. You know, this is one that's being built in Thailand actually. Every, that's just floor after floor of servers when they get done. Okay, so this is going to go into um, the chapter that I've, I wrote for Wired for Learning, which is being produced by the University of Houston, uh, a book, where I talk about what, what does your school need to look like, okay? So the first thing I think you need is you need to have two separate areas in your IT department. You need to have what's your IT side, running the infrastructure, and you have what's what I call the ET side, which is educational technology. People who are in technology but are an education background. This is where I fall. I understand this side, but I hate this side because I still love the kids and love the teachers, okay? So I'm over here, and this is what I do. I support teachers. I focus on educational use. I have input on hardware and software purchases. That's, I help this person. I'm in charge of technology training. I focus on the educator and education. Their job is to train, support, teach both students and staff on the use of technology tools and direct. The problem is you cannot have one person that does both of this because this side will take them away and they'll never spend their time here. If you have somebody that's trying to do both sides, this side, which is the side that matters the most, is not being met. I can almost guarantee it, unless you're a school of 150 people. But if you're a school at about 300, I use 300 kids as my breaking point, you need to have this, okay? 
Here's what the, the whole communication circle looks like. Here's your IT. They're in charge of infrastructure. You, again, you can download this whole PDF. Here's how it overlaps with the educational support person. And here's your library media specialist because they become in the circle. And the most important part is to have communication throughout. So for example, at ISB, I meet for one hour every week with my elementary librarian because I'm elementary focused. I meet for an hour every week with my IT person. And I let them know what's happening in the classroom. I'm working with the media specialist. We're both implementing stuff in the classroom with kids, with teachers, with training. I'm on the IT side, making sure that the network is working, making sure we have the bandwidth, making sure we have access to the information we need. Okay? And professional development. The only way we're going to change these is professional development. Bring people into your school. Me, if you need to. Sorry, self-promotion there. Um, <laughs> You know, to come in and help train teachers on this stuff. You know, the only way we're going to change the mindset is by giving the teachers the tools to do it, to push their thinking. Hopefully I'm pushing your thinking a little bit today, okay? Or this is a conference I put on in Shanghai that is a tech-focused, specifically tech-focused fo educational conference. The next one we're putting on is in September of 2010. It's called Learning 2010 in Shanghai. Um, Get opportunities for your staff to go out and go to some tech-specific conferences. At your school, this is what it should look like. We always want student learning to be in the center, and then we're going to have our infrastructure and our implementation. We're going to support that on different levels. If we turn that into what that actually looks like for tools, you have your student information center system in the center. From there, we can pull out into your course management system. This is like your Blackboard or Moodle. We have your student network where you can basically have a Facebook type site running on your server at your school or hosted out in the cloud somewhere for students. You have your teacher websites, you have your school portal, and then that's all supported by your infrastructure. And again, in the PDF that you can download, it's pages of going into each of those and what that looks like. Here's what we're setting up at ISB. Okay, so this is my first year there and we're, we'll probably be launching this next year. We've called it iConnect. So kids will go to iConnect.isb.ac.th from there, they will log in. That login information is being pulled out of PowerSchool, which is our ISS, our student information system, that all that stuff's being kept. From there, they can go into PantherNet, which is Moodle, or they can go to their blogs, which is our portfolio that's public to the world, their authentic audience, where they reflect, do things to an authentic audience of over 1.6 billion people that now have access to the internet. We're teaching them to be safe in this area. We're teaching them to be safe on the web. We are also using Google, which is in beta right now, for our collaborative documents. So kids are creating stuff together. We're also using the cloud here for kids to be able to store stuff. Down here we have My ISB, which is where we have groups, we have class blogs, class wikis. Again, this is like a Facebook, only specific to our kids. And then inside ISB is our public teacher web pages. So this is every teacher has a web page where they're giving out assignments, they're giving out pictures to, um, parents or doing whatever, okay? So that's what it looks like within the school setting. So where we start at then is this comes out of Doug Johnson, who is a library media specialist, and he created this for his school, where you start with the empowering of students, you enhance teaching, uh, you know, your resources, blah, blah, blah. The thing I don't like about this is, is that we all get down here to establishing the infrastructure and we get into this circle because we have these five and 10 year plans where by the time we get done with the plan, we start back over again because the, the technology is out of state, right? And we get stuck down here and the problem is we never truly affect what we're all about, which is student learning. 
So it should look more like this, that our infrastructure matches what we want our student outcome to be. We then take that and divide that into a three-year plan, no more than a three-year plan. Because within three years, it's all going to change anyway. Okay? What do you want students to do? How are you going to train teachers to do that? Put the resources in place, make sure you have effective administration, and establish the infrastructure that's going to lead to this that year with an eye on the future. Okay? So here are your essential questions. What do we want students to learn? That's the first thing you ask yourself. What do we want students to be able to do or learn? We want them to have access to information. Great. What do teachers need to know? How are we going to make sure teachers have that? What resources do those teachers need? Does every teacher need a laptop? Does every teacher need to have an iPod so they can podcast or record like I'm doing their lectures? How do we make it happen? What are the resources we put in place? And then when it gets down to it, you just do the infrastructure. If you need the bandwidth, you get the bandwidth. I went through it fast, but I think that's it. That's it. Okay? Questions? Comments? Thank you. This is fantastic. Look at you. It's excellent. Thank you. I do have cards up here, and I am free to come to your school to consult and stuff. My agreement with ISB is I do get 40 days a year to go out and go into schools and help do professional development and stuff like that. And I just put that out there as if you need somebody to help you come in and do any of this stuff, create, you know, create the systems or train teachers or you're looking for somebody that is trying to understand international schools because I understand we're all different. Know that I can go. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your time. This podcast and all podcasts released at On Deck are recorded under a Creative Commons 3.0 share-like license.